I'd like for you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. One of the most debilitating emotions is the emotion of anger. It is true for two reasons that it is one of the most debilitating emotions. One is because it's so unpredictable. It appears in unpredictable ways. You lose your temper and you say things that you never meant to say. And you, you get alone later and you say, I wish I had not said that. If I could just take that back, but you can't. And sometimes our anger appears in these severe thoughts we've had. I wonder how many people we have murdered in our minds. And it is the most debilitating emotion because it always goes public. Anger, sooner or later, goes public. One of the most difficult emotions to deal with is the emotion of anger. It's all a matter of self-control. Now, that's easier said than done. As a, matter of back from, as a matter of fact, from the book, Your Erroneous Zones, this author, this statement. Perhaps you have justified your short-fused behavior by saying such things as, it's only human, or if I don't express it, I'll store it up and have an ulcer. Listen, anger is probably a part of you you don't like. Needless to say, neither does anybody else. Anger is not just a matter of being human. You don't have to possess anger. It has nothing to do with being a happy, fulfilled person. It's an erroneous zone. It's a kind of a psychological influenza. Anger is a choice as well as a habit, a learned reaction to frustration which you react in ways you'd rather not. In fact, severe anger is a form of insanity. You are insane when you're out of control of your behavior. Therefore, when you're angry, out of control, you're temporarily insane. Now that's encouraging to most of us. It doesn't sound like that that is something that you would relate to a biblical character. Temporary insanity? Surely not some biblical character. But that is the description of the man of our text tonight, 1 Samuel. It's the description of the man out of control at a point in his life. A man named David. A man that is quoted, the, the, the most oft-quoted Old Testament character in the New Testament. He's quoted more in the New Testament than any New Testament character. And he has a biography that's longer than any Old Testament person, any more Old Testament character. That's this man David, out of control, at one time was so angry, had it not been for the intervention of a woman he had never met, he would have been guilty of murder in the first degree. I want to set some background. It's important to do that. Whenever, in that time, whenever people worked outside, usually it was caring for sheep. That was about the only outside labor. And so these wealthy men would have flocks, huge flocks of sheep and goats, and they would have men in charge of them. These men were shepherds that took care of these sheep and goats. And that's really the problem that emerges in 1 Samuel ch uh, chapter 25. It is a problem of labor. It's a, it's, a, it's a problem between labor and management, between employer and employee. Now here's where David and his men come in. David has been living in a, in a cave, in the cave of Adullam. 
And there 600 men have come to him. He's been training them. These men will become later on the cabinet of his kingdom. And these men have been um, kind of protecting these shepherds who are shepherding these flocks of sheep and goats. They've been kind of, uh, of protecting uh, this, this uh, domestic kingdom against warring pagan nations, kind of as a security force. This is the first, probably, security group. David and his 600 men. Can you, can you, can you understand what they do? 600 men, and they're in charge of kind of a security that surrounds these peaceful nations as they try to carry on their life and their business. Now, there is a kind of a custom in that day that when the shearing time came, that the owner of these sheep would hold out some money and would give to part of this money to this security force. The men, in this case, David and his men. Now, there was no contract and there were no, uh, uh, there, uh, you know, uh, minimum, it was no minimum wage. It was just kind of a gentleman's agreement, a custom, that they would give these men some money for their protection, kind of like a tip, you know. When you get good service, you know, uh, you get a good tip. And that's the custom of that time. And that was the problem because when it came time for that to happen, it didn't happen. Now I want us to set the characters in this drama. It's a beautiful drama and I want to give you some practical help tonight concerning anger. There are three main characters. One of them is a man named Nabal. He's the owner of this large flock of sheep. Let me tell you something about Nabal. N-A-B-A-L. Verses 2 and 3 describe him. tells us that he's a very rich man. The word there means heavy, where it talks about his wealth, means he was really loaded. He was affluent. He was a rich man. And his name means fool, believe it or not. How would you like to have that name, fool? And it doesn't mean silly as one foolish. It means a man who does not believe in God. You know, the psalmist said, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. And he was given the name Nabal because his family passed on to him rigid and dogmatic atheism. He was a man who had no place for God. And the Bible goes on to describe him as a harsh, belligerent man, dishonest in his dealings, and unfair, deceptive. Now you might think that his wife would be just like him. She was exactly the opposite. Her name was Abigail. In verses 3 and 4, describe her. She's a beautiful woman. She's wise and intelligent. The word means she has great common sense. She's a great gal. I love this gal. I want to show you something about her in a minute. In fact, the Hebrew word says she has a beautiful shape. Now, that means a lot to some people. I mean, she's not painful to look at. She's a beautiful woman, wise and intelligent. The third character in this drama is our man David, the, the young man who has been anointed king but is not yet king. And he and his men have been doing this service for this shepherd and his and protecting him. Now, has he been doing a good job? Well, I want you to skip down to verse 15 of chapter 25, and it describes the kind of work David and his men have done. It says, Yet the men were very good to us. We were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while they were in the fields. Well, he says, they were a wall to us both by night and by day. All the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, that's the kind of service that David and his men performed. Now, do you see the picture? There is Nabal, Abigail, David, and his men. Now, watch this, story as in a, this story as it unfolds. There are three basic conflicts that exist here. First of all, there is the implied conflict between the husband and his wife. 
an implied conflict because they were absolutely different in every way. They were different in temperament. They were different in style of life. They were different in attitude, in philosophy. They just had a different value system. And when you put two people together like that, you're going to have some conflict whether it's in the record or not. When I go home to see my mom, I, I get out her old magazines. She has these good housekeeping magazines. I don't normally take those. Sports Illustrated is more my magazine, but I like to open up the Good Housekeeping magazine to that feature article It says, Can This Marriage Be Saved? And I'll read that story about, you know, it's always, you know, true story, some husband and wife, can this marriage be saved? And I'll do a little pr counseling practice there, what I, what I would say, you know, what I would do. Can this marriage be saved? Abigail married to this harsh, belligerent, stubborn man. How in the world did they get together? Well, in that time, they didn't choose who they would marry. As a matter of fact, the, the fathers and the mothers chose the wife for, the, you know, for, for a husband. And sometimes that worked out great, but when it didn't, you have some big problems. And you have a problem here because Abigail was totally opposite from her husband. And there is this conflict that always exists when you put two people together who have a different value system. Sound like anybody you know? There is a second conflict. It's the conflict that exists between employer and employee. Now it begins in verse 5. I thought about reading this, but you know, it seems like we need to keep this thing going. So you just believe me and, 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 and I'm going to tell you what happens. David says, okay, now it's shearing time. It's time for us to get our tip. He sends his men down there. He says, go down there and say shalom to them. It's a Jewish word. It's a Hebrew word that means may you have the best in life. I mean, they're coming and they're coming on the anticipation of getting paid. Reminds me of a bell, bellhop, you know. He takes you up to the hotel room and he takes you there and he, he kind of stands there, you know. <coughs> he says, you know, and so I give him a quarter, you know. I mean, he'll stand there kind of with his hand out. And so these guys, you know, they, they showed up at shearing time and they knew the custom and <coughs> they were going, <coughs> and they had their hand out. And I want you to look at the response of Nabal, verse 11. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've... Look, guess where his eyes are. My bread, my water, my meat, my, mine, what I have slaughtered, and give it to men whose origin I do not know. So David's young men retraced their way and went back, and they came and told him according to these words. Now look at what David decided to do, verse 12. So verse 13, David said to his men, Each of you gird on his sword. Get on your sword. Four hundred of them said, Put on there. That ought to be enough to take care of Nabal. It's kind of what I call shooting a roach with a shotgun. I mean, it gets the job done, but you may blow the wall out and ruin all the furniture. He said to four hundred men, Get on your sword. Is this the same man? Watch this. Is this the same man we studied about last Sunday night who wouldn't retaliate when King Saul was pursuing him? Is this the same man that would not get revenge when he had a right to do it? There's a lesson to be learned there. That's, this is the lesson. Yesterday's victories don't count for today. You can mark that down as a basic principle. Yesterday's victories don't count for today because God doesn't give patience on the credit. And just because David won this victory and didn't get re revenge, didn't retaliate when he had the right to do so, just because that happened yesterday doesn't mean it happens every day. 
So he told him, he said, put your sword on and we're going out there and kill them. Saint, listen to Redpath. He's got a marvelous book called The Making of the Man of God. Listen to this. David, David, what's wrong with you? Why, one, of the most, why, one of the most wonderful things we learned about you recently is your patience with Saul. You learned to wait upon the Lord. You refused to lift your hand to touch the Lord's anointed, although he had been your enemy for many years. But now look at you. Your self-restraint has gone to pieces, and a few insulting words from a fool of a man like Nabal has made you see red. David, what's the matter? I'm justified in doing this, David would reply. There's no reason why Nabal should treat me as he has. He has repaid all my kindness with insults. I'll show him he can't trifle with me. It's one, it's one thing to take it from Saul, who is my superior at this point. But this sort of man, this high-handed individual, must be taught a lesson. Does that sound like anybody you know? Gird on your sword, 200 of us. We're going to go down there and kill the roach with a shotgun. Third conflict is the conflict that exists between, in, between anger and murder. Now you put yourself in Abigail's sandals, if you will. She'd like to get rid of this husband. I mean, she probably don't want to kill him. But who wants a marriage like this? I mean, if I can get out of this thing, it'll be just great for me. And you put yourself in Abigail's shoes, and she looks up one day, and she sees David coming with his men, 400 of them, with swords. Pick it up with me in verse 14. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men who were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything. Skip to verse 17. Now therefore know and consider what you should do, for evil is plotted against, your master, against our master and against all his household, and he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Now why do these men come to Abigail? Why didn't they go to Nabal? Because she's open. Because she's pliable. And because they know that she will listen to them, they knew Nabal would not. And they were wise enough to know that this woman had insight where her husband had a blind spot. Now watch this carefully. It is my firm conv conviction that oftentimes God will place a spouse in a home where she has insight or he has insight where he or she where, or, or, where his or her spouse has a blind spot. And God puts that person there in order to perfect that person. It's the best way to look at life. That the reason why God has given me this person is because she has a strength where I have a weakness. She has insight where I have a blind spot. She has sensitivity where I am hardened. It's exactly what's going on here. Look at verse 18. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves of bread, two jugs of wine, five sheep already prepared, five measures of roasted grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, loaded them on their donkeys, cakes of fig, loaded them on their donkeys, and said to our young men, Go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. She didn't tell her husband Nabal. Is that the first um, catering service? You know. And she loads up this donkey full of figs and cakes and, 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 and wine and sh slaughtered sheep already prepared and heads out toward David. 
She didn't tell her husband, is that submission? There are times when a wife is to act in favor of her husband without saying a word to her husband. Let me tell you, show you three beautiful things about Abigail. Now, you looking for, you looking for a wife? You guys over here? You got one. You, you guys over here, you looking for a wife. Let me show you three qualities about this woman that, that make her a marvelous wife. First of all, she has tact. She has tact. If you'll read ver beginning at verse 23, that section that goes through verse 32, you'll find that this woman, Abigail, calls herself a maidservant as she approaches David. She calls herself a maidservant six times and she calls him her Lord eight times. What a gal. I mean, she, she has tact. She knows how to, how to do this. The second thing about this woman that makes her beautiful is her faith. Now, I want you to look at verse 26 and follow reading with me. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now let your enemies and those who seek evil against my Lord be as able. Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you all your days. He's saying, I'm looking at the next king. She's saying, don't, David, you don't need this murder on your hands. If you go through with what you're planning on going through, your conscience is going to bother you for the rest of your life. And you don't need a kingdom with a murder on your hands. You don't need that. And she pleads with him. There's this faith there. Now look at verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day out to meet me. No wonder he was a man after God's own heart. He was teachable. And here was a woman who had, he had never met before and he yields to her pleading. She has this marvelous faith in God that God's going to make everything work out all right and he's teachable to that even though he's the conquering hero. He responds to this woman. Marvelous thing. Third thing about this woman is her loyalty. Now I'd like to tell you that when she got back home and she saw Nabal that what he said were, Honey, bless your heart. I did a terrible thing and I just appreciate you intervening for me and if it wasn't for you, darling, I don't know what I'd do in this world. I mean, you get me out of more jams. I'd like to tell you that's what he said. But if you look at verse 36, you'll find what really happened when she got home. Nabal was drunk as a skunk. However, however that is. Now, isn't that great? Here is a, here is a woman who's been out standing in the place of her husband intervening for him in the face of death. And what does he do? He's home drunk. Sound like anybody you know? I'll tell you, it's enough to make the angels weep. The number of people, the number of women, the number of wives who've been out there day after day, faithful to their husbands, loyal, and come home and the scoundrel is drunk again. And you'd think that Abigail would have, a, have it up to here and she would tell him off. I want to show you what she did. Look at what verse 36 says. Then Abigail came to Nabal and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk 
So, now you think she'd fly off the handle and say, you scoundrel, here you are again. I'd like to kick you out of here. What she did was she did not tell him anything at all. What she went, what she did. And she went to bed. And she probably cried her eyes out. And she probably talked to God half the night because this scoundrel of a husband... She pulled the sheets up over her face and cried herself to sleep and she thought to herself again, will I never have the love of a godly man? When you do what is right, listen to me carefully, when you do what is right, God takes care of it and He takes care of it in a big way. Verse 37, it came about in the morning when the wine had gone out of Nabal that his wife told him these things and his heart died within him so that he became a stone. The word means in the Hebrew he had a stroke. Ten days later, he was dead. When you do what's right, God takes care of the matter. There's no impossible situations with God. And verse 40 says that this fairy tale comes true because here comes David who one day is going to be king and he takes Abigail for his wife. Now, on the back of your sheet there, there are two supernatural solutions. I want to jot these down, get the lessons, and then we're headed home. Two things. When you're in the face of an impossible situation, whenever... Whenever you're tempted to lose control, two things. First, be wise. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means three things. It means, first of all, see the whole picture, not just your side. Before you lose your temper, be sure you get the whole picture. Be sure you understand that there are two sides. Get the other side as well as your own. David almost blew it until somebody came and showed him the other side. Get both sides. Secondly, restrain yourself from doing anything hasty. Restrain yourself from doing anything hasty. A guy told me one time, he said, I got this terrible temper and I just can't control it. I said, yes, you can. He said, no, I can't. I can't control my temper. I said, you picture this situation. I'm holding a Magnum, what is it, 45? I'm holding a Magnum 45 at your, at your skull, and I've got the hammer cocked back, and I say to you, lose your temper, and I'll pull the trigger. You're going to lose your temper? He said, nobody explained it to me that way before. It is possible for you to restrain yourself. Whenever you're tempted to lose your temper, restrain yourself, don't get hasty. Third, this is the most important. Make it a matter of prayer. You know what happens when you pray? You get God's perspective. You get God's perspective. Now what happened when this woman came was, as an instrument of God, he got God's perspective on the matter. Why? He said, blessed be the Lord God who sent you to me. I've had a word from God, he said, about this matter. You get God's perspective. Be wise. Second. Whenever you realize that there is nothing you can do, wait. Impassable, impossible impasses call for screeching brakes. 
Now, there are two lessons that you can get, then we're through. What marvelous lessons to learn. Number one, you don't have to fight these battles. God will fight them for you. You don't have to fight these battles. God will fight them for you. You have a situation that you just cannot endure. Don't lose your head in that situation. God will fight that battle for you. You have a roommate, you have, a per, you have somebody down at your office that you can't stand. You, you, you just wait. God will take care of that matter. It's proven over and over again, notwithstanding this text. Second, you will be amazed at what God will do if you'll wait on Him. You'll be amazed at what God will do if you'll wait on Him. You'll be surprised at the solution God accomplishes if you leave it up to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these pictures in the Old Testament of the principles of the Christian life. And we are amazed at how relevant the Old Testament is as we read again and again these marvelous stories how You intervened in the lives of Your people, and how You get Your purpose accomplished. Let us learn the lessons tonight, the lesson of faith, loyalty, a lesson of trust. Help us to believe that You're in control. What we cannot do for ourselves, You can bring to pass. Because I pray in Jesus' name and I ask it for His sake. In this church, and this time, in every service, we have an invitation. An invitation first to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God has made possible eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. That's the life that's imparted by the Holy Spirit to the believer eternal life, life that comes from God and, and extends endlessly into eternity. You can be saved tonight by simply trusting your heart and soul to Jesus, repenting, that is, turning around from the old way, exercising faith in Jesus. An invitation tonight to join the church, to make your place here in this fellowship, or maybe an invitation at the invitation, you might need to rededicate your life to Christ. There's so many ways that you have not pleased Him, and there's so many times when you've not borne positive witness to Him. You want to begin a new walk. It's called rededication of life. These are the invitations. We'll not wait long. So if you feel led to come, God speaks you to come. You come on the first word as we stand to sing.